0: There's so many ways to approach the Lord's table, Lord's Supper, communion, whichever reference you use to call it. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 through 34 is where Paul records for us that original tradition. Would you stand with me as we read these words together? Paul... Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of profaning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a man examine himself and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment upon himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we should not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are chastened so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brethren, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, lest you come together to be condemned about the other things. I will give directions when I come. Pray with me. Father, take these words and print them on our hearts and remind us of what a privilege we have to gather here at your table and what it represents. In your name we pray, amen. Thank you, please be seated. So these words, do this in remembrance of me, are well known to all of us. They're mentioned twice right here in this this passage of scripture. Do this in remembrance of me. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. But as we do with so much of our religion, we've made the Lord's Supper into such a ritual that we've just about squeezed the life out of it. So I want us to talk about this and think about this question of what Jesus wants us to remember. He said, this is my body broken for you. This is my blood shed for you. So what does he want us to remember about his body and his blood? How exactly does he want us to remember them? What does he want us to remember about his body and blood? And there are two tracks that we could take as we try to answer that question. The first one is to focus on his sacrifice and death, the process of his dying and its purpose. And there are a lot of churches preoccupied with the death of Jesus, and his death was important. I don't want to minimize it because it was by that death that we are given forgiveness of our sins, but The churches that place the priority on his death can make the Lord's Supper such a a heavy and somber occasion with such nonstop agony and and chest beating over Jesus' sacrifice for us. I remember growing up in, in the church where I was, it focused on that. And we better be careful when we came to the Lord's table because the preacher usually mentioned the judgment aspect. Anyone who eats or drinks... Drinks judgment upon himself. If we judged ourselves truly, we shall not be judged. And I mean, I was scared when I came to the Lord's table that I had done something that I had not, for which I had not been forgiven, and I was going to be judged. And uh, many of you are weak and ill, and some of you have died as a result of it. I didn't know what might happen to me. And so, this is one track that some churches follow the fearsome, morbid approach to Jesus that he wanted us to remember when he said, do this in remembrance of me. But there's another track that I think is better in keeping with his intentions. And I think that's what Paul is trying to tell us here today, but you have to have some background to understand it. And it has to deal with the church in Corinth. Paul established this church in Corinth and he spent 18 months there getting it Off the ground. And you've got to remember those churches in the first century, they had no history, they had no tradition, they had nothing to go by about how to go about doing church, how to be church. For 18 months, Paul had gotten this fledgling congregation off the ground and and gotten them together and organized on his second missionary journey. And then he went on his way. And about five and a half years later, he is learning of some problems terrible problems that have come up when they observe the Lord's Supper. Paul learned that basically the Lord's Supper had become a fiasco of a feast. Everybody was bringing their own, basically their own covered dish. Um, The wealthy had plenty of food to eat. The poor were left out. And if you arrived late, you were also out of luck. So they weren't sharing with one another. and, And it says here, Um, Verse 33, when you come together, wait for one another. (laughs) Don't dive in until everybody is together. They weren't sharing. And people were bringing wine for the Lord's table, and they were getting tipsy, just being honest. Their celebration of the Lord's Supper was not creating unity. It was doing the opposite. It was creating separatism and isolationism and elitism, and a lack of spiritual discernment. Let me give you a little more background here. I was I was looking up Corinth, the city, and Corinth just by itself was already a seat, a city replete with sin and evil. It was basically a port city on the isthmus between the Adriatic and the Aegean seas. And so, rather than ships going all around uh, the Grecian coast, they would put in at one side. And then have slaves portage the ships across the isthmus to the other side. So you can imagine what the sailors were doing while the slaves were moving their ships from one side to the other. It became uh, a city that just was covered in sin. And, and Paul is trying to combat that background in getting his church established. And it, it looks like some of that background is beginning to infiltrate the Lord's Supper. Paul is saying this supper is too important, too significant to turn it into a mockery. What are you thinking? What are you doing? But as I was, I was thinking about that this week, it seemed to me that if the Apostle Paul had established the Lord's Supper as anything other than a joyful celebration, it would have never gone down this track of abuse. Evidently, Paul did not establish the Lord's Supper as a morbid somber time of self-scrutiny and and deep introspection and self-examination. He must have instructed them that this table is to be one of joy and thanksgiving and celebration, and they should come to it with rejoicing. And so when they did that, it just kind of got out of hand. Have you ever noticed how we do that in church so often? Paul is trying to keep us in the middle and, and usually Jesus and, and we'll either go off on one extreme or the other. No, it's not to become a baldy observation of, of just revelry and, and celebration. It's not to become just a morbid self-recriminating beating of chest and, and somber and, and pouring out of one's heart. It is to be a blessed time of thanksgiving and celebration and rejoicing. With the passing of time and the absence of Paul's guidance keeping this, this church on the right track, over five and a half years, this rejoicing had gone overboard and become ridiculous. And so Paul is trying to rein them back in and put things back in order. So Jesus says... Come and, partake. and when we do that, what does he want us to remember? He wants us to remember his sacrifice, yes, because it was great and overwhelming. But not just his sacrifice. I think Jesus would want us to remember with joy and thanksgiving that when you partake of this bread, like Israel getting manna in the wilderness, this is nourishment for life. I have forgiven you and I will enable you to live with my strength every day. Celebrate that. And don't forget when you're sick, when you're troubled, you don't have to go through it alone, but you can place your burdens upon me. For I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. Jesus said, I have abolished the the power of the the principalities and, and the powers and made an open spectacle of them. In Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I remember in high school, I had a friend who discovered that verse and he just began shouting it in the hallways of the church. No condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. We don't live under the power of sin any longer. Jesus wants us to celebrate that. He wants us to remember that He washed away our sins and temptation and the bondage that Satan had placed us under. In no way can they dominate our lives anymore. That's what He wants us to remember. The one who died said, Everybody can come unto Him. It doesn't require any earned acceptance. There's nothing you have to do. You don't have to wait until you're good enough. Because guess what? You never will be. I never will be. None of us ever can be good enough to deserve this. But he says, come anyway and dine with me. I mentioned in the early service, don't you love going out to a meal and somebody else picking up the tab? I heard an amen. That's what Jesus has done for us. This is the most expensive meal, the the richest, the most extravagant meal that any of us have ever been invited to. And Jesus said, I've paid for it in full. And he opens it up to us all. And so as we partake of these elements this morning, I want us to do it with joy and thanksgiving and celebration because this is a table of triumph It represents Jesus' victory over the grave. It is a table of joy, and we come rejoicing in Jesus Christ. Bow with me. Father, as we come now to receive these elements, we do so with thanksgiving, knowing that you have paid for it in full, and it was not a small price. It was your very life the body that was broken, the blood that was shed. And as we remember them this day, we celebrate with thanksgiving. In your name we pray. Amen.